We are so excited to announce that we have opened the doors to our private membership community, The Symposium. Inside The Symposium, you have access to all of our free and paid content, daily prompts to pull to, live monthly workshops, reading room Zooms, and monthly virtual meetups. We also host monthly challenges and have a lively and engaged community, as well as tarot spread and resource libraries. The Symposium is an incredible community of like-minded folks who value the intersection of tarot, mental health, self-reflection, and personal growth. We're really excited to meet you all inside the symposium. So head over to thetarotdiagnosis.com and click join the symposium today to become a part of our community. You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. We're your hosts. I'm Luna. And I'm Shannon. We're both clinical psychotherapists who train together at Johns Hopkins. Now we are both in private practice in Tampa, Florida, and in Baltimore, Maryland. We also both happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, we work to demystify the tarot and explore its connections to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. Join us while we pull cards to better understand ourselves and those around us. Hey, Shannon. So today we are talking about self-worth and I feel like this topic could go in a million different directions. So (laughs) I'm excited to see where we go with it. And I feel like self-worth and self-esteem get mixed up a lot too. And we, we often talk about them interchangeably. So I feel like I just wanted to start off by saying, you know, healthy self-worth is this belief that we are inherently valuable and worthy and deserving of love and respect and self-worth is what our self-esteem is built upon. So you can think of self-worth as like the foundation and then our self-esteem gets built upon that. And our self-esteem is basically just our overall opinion of ourselves. So when our self-worth is high, we feel confident and capable and we can kind of take on anything that comes our way. But when our self-worth is low, that's when we start to feel insecure or we can be super self-critical and feel unworthy. And I feel like that's where I see low self-worth a lot is the self-criticism and just feeling unworthy. Such an interesting place where you started. I had no idea you were going to start with that. That was great. And it's an interesting framework because yes, I mean, this is also one of these things that people will sort of come into therapy generically sort of saying, oh, I don't feel like I have good self-worth. They'll often say self-esteem. Yeah. I think that you're making a really good point that esteem is really hard to build. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we see people trying to build self-esteem, but without that foundation, oh, I love the way you talked about it, without that foundation of self-worth. So it's basically, it's like trying to build a house upon sand, you know, it's kind of yes. like really like interesting, you know, structure you've built around that, but your foundation is not there. So that is a really interesting place to start. And I think that the reason why people try to work on self-esteem is because it's a little bit easier to mm-hmm. like put stuff in place because we can kind of point to things like, oh, well, I did well in this thing or, oh, I got accolades here. But that concept of self-worth is, I think, incredibly difficult, perhaps for everybody. I mean, I've had this conversation with a number of clients, actually really recently I've had this conversation where I've sort of challenged and said, well, do you think that people have to prove their worth in order to be viable in this world or in order to be accepted? And they'll say, no, 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 other people, like, I understand that everybody has a value. And then they pause and they say, except for I don't think that about myself. Yeah. And that 
is so painful. Oh my gosh. And it's, what's so interesting is that is such a universal experience, I think, for therapists. And I wish that, I'm glad we're, we're talking about it now because I wish that everybody understood that almost like the majority of us all feel the same. So when people come in, I mean, I've had that same exact conversation so many times that you just Mm -hmm. described. So it's really interesting hearing you say it because yeah, people will say, well, no, I I understand that everyone else is inherently worthy and deserving, but I'm not. So, okay. But then everyone, everyone else who's in therapy is saying the same thing. (laughs) So someone else who's in therapy talking to their therapist right now believes that you are inherently deserving and worthy, but they don't believe they are, even though you think so you kind of like go in this circle, but I, I want to go back for a second because I love how you talked about self-esteem kind of being building a house on sand. And it was such a good image. Like I immediately had this picture in my head of being at the beach and like trying (laughs) to like secure these two by fours. And it like, you know, you having some kind of cover, but like, it's like super janky. And like, if a big gust of wind comes, you know, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Or a big wave. And I'm like, oh, that's such a beautiful representation. And I think it's difficult for people to really understand what self-worth is versus what self-esteem is, because it's so easy for us to be like, well, yeah, let me, I need, I need cover. So let me just grab these, you know, pieces of wood, mm-hmm. even though it's super sandy and, and not stable. And I haven't laid any, any concrete, but you know, when you're thinking about low self-worth, it can sound similar to low self-esteem, but self, low self-worth is like feeling inadequate or um, when you start to compare yourself to others or you avoid challenges um, or doing things Mm. that might lead to like failure or even success. Or if you're seeking a lot of validation from others where low self-esteem is being super critical, like it's it's just different. It's maybe avoiding building the foundation would be low self-worth. And then saying, oh, I can't build the foundation would be low self-esteem. See, I mean, I feel like it's really hard to have. I think you could, hmm, interesting. I think you could probably have like okay self-esteem, but low self-worth. Because you can have sort of self-esteem, right. You know, of like, no, I know that I'm like good at my job. I know that like I'm, you know, whatever, like a good friend. And I think that people do know how to build those things up. There is this real mystery around how do I build up self-worth? I think that it is a question. I think, frankly, I think it's a question that therapists avoid because it's so difficult. Oh yeah. And so layered. And maybe now we pull a card. (laughs) This feels like card time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What deck are you using? Yeah. I grabbed Terror of the Abyss because I felt like it's a mysterious name and a very people focused deck. And I thought it was right. How about you? Uh, Well, first, I'm so glad you're using Terror of the Abyss because I feel like you haven't used it in a while. And it's one of my favorite decks of yours. Every time I see I it at the store, I'm like, oh, I truth. want it. No, but you found it. <laughs> it was under a pillow for it in my office. <laughs> so I'm using a Pamela Coleman Smith's um, The Rider Weight Playing Card Deck. I had picked it up. But oh. Yeah, just a, one of the local metaphysical stores was having a big like used book and card sale like a month or a couple months ago. I feel like so you've got a good cute. store near you right now. I I'm do. a little jealous of. It is yeah. pretty nice. So I do have to say, so, oh, I got a jumper. Sweet. That hasn't happened in a while. When I pulled to guide this episode, um, I pulled 
all majors. So I was wondering if another oh. major was going to come out during our pool, but it didn't. I got eight of swords. What did you get? Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I got seven of pentacles. Oh, okay. Seven of pentacles yeah. and eight of swords. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of right for our personalities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let's go into like where the pain is. And I feel like seven of pentacles is like, but wait, what's over here? <laughs> what's growing? <laughs> it does seem right. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about maybe like the pain and like aware self-worth kind of like originates the deep, dark stuff. And maybe you're going to talk about how to climb out of that. I think that's what the cards are, are indicating. Uh, but interesting, super different cards. What's your, what's your first kind of impression of these? I mean, I think that they are really interesting cards. They're, they're interesting because I feel like these are not where we usually start. Yeah. There's something that feels really different about these and that that is exciting. I, I, I like them both. I think Eight of Swords is uh, layered and challenging. The Seven of Pentacles is interesting because there's a different take because I'm using Terror of the Abyss. Typically, when I pull Seven of Pentacles, you know, I sort of pay attention to how bored the guy looks like he's like yeah I've got all these pentacles here that's fine but he looks kind of like over it and bored in the tarot of the abyss it's a little different it's a picture of a woman and she's baking bread and she's got like all these loaves and she's got like there are pentacles in the tops of the loaves it's very pretty but she actually looks pleased and so to put these two cards next to each other is interesting to me to kind of sort of find that tension between the idea of when we're playing with the concept of self-worth. I think that because we live in a pentacles world, because we are worldly and we have to kind of live in the existence of being in the world, I think that there is truth in that when we do good work, whatever that means, whether that's like actual work or whether that's work of relationships or whatever, I think that that is a way of building self-esteem, which can help fortify self-worth. But at the same time, it's cautionary because that's not the only answer. It's not just like, oh, if I like improve myself enough, I will then feel worthy, which is something I see a lot with clients. Like they're constantly trying to improve themselves and self-improve their way into feeling okay. And mm. I think that there, I see, I don't think it's entirely wrong. I just think it's an incomplete answer. And I think that that's what this is pointing to is that that's a way, but it's not going to get you there all the way. That was beautiful. I feel like, oh, thanks. I feel like I have a million things to say and, and nothing at all, because I feel like you just, you said it so perfectly. I, I love the way you're talking about seven of pentacles and it's making me think to like something you said a moment ago was so powerful about how people try to kind of self-improve their way to being okay. Like, oh my God, like, holy shit. That was like mic drop moment there. I think what we forget is that we, we go through seasons of life and the seven of pentacles is like such like the ultimate garden metaphor card. So that's where I'm going with it, where, you know, things are, things are growing and things are great and we feel good. And then we go through seasons where nothing's growing and everything's dormant and we kind of just have to wait and see. And it can feel really anxiety provoking when we know that something is out of whack or 
off balance or just not feeling right. And we don't want to wait for the growing season. We want to feel better right now. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, we talk about that a lot in therapy too. We have to trust the process. Like, you know, two sessions isn't going to, you know, magically make you feel better. It's the process of being human and understanding that you're going to continue to recognize patterns and understand how interactions affect you and your self-worth and how past things affected you and your self-worth and how they're going to continue to and what to do with those. And just like when you're gardening and watching things to grow in the seven, seven of pentacles, each season might be a little different. Some seasons might be really great and some seasons might be kind of disappointing. So yeah. See, but like, I think that the, there's more to that. Like, I'm just like shoving my way in there. I think there's more to it because like then sometimes you get into a place where it's like, yeah, everything's growing. Like the garden is doing really well. We're having a good year, blah, blah, blah. And yet I still don't feel okay. And Mm. that's when it's just so like you want to crawl out of your skin, you know, like nothing's wrong. Everything's fine, but I don't feel okay. And I don't know what to do about it. So I think that's where the Eight of Swords comes in because it's Mm -hmm. this representation of feeling trapped and and powerless. And, you know, there's, you know, we talk about it in terms of like shadow worker Carl Jung. He talks about this kind of like mask that we wear, like the persona, and how when we wear this mask, we are essentially we're essentially trapping ourselves, but it's a mask of what we feel like other people want to see. So like when we're standing in our garden, it's like, well, things aren't growing the way that they're supposed to. What are people going to think of my garden? Are they going to think that I'm a shitty gardener? Like, you know, what are all these, what are all these beliefs or judgments that I'm going to get from other people? So we are, we're kind of trapping ourselves in this like expectation in this world that is that is really unfair. So that's where when you're doing self-worth work, it's beneficial to come in and say, well, hold on, what challenging beliefs, what limiting beliefs do I need to challenge? And start to assess, like, what do I believe about myself? What do I believe other people believe about me? And how much, how much value or weight am I giving to that? Because often, you know, we stop ourselves from increasing our self-worth because we believe that what other people say or believe about us is, is true. So we don't bother kind of stepping outside of you know, the the trap of those swords that people have put in the ground. And one, because it's scary and lonely. Yeah, I feel like we don't have a guide for that. You know, I think that we have guides for how to be. And, you know, we talk all the time about how we're tribal animals and how relationships really matter. And I mean, I would argue that role models matter. matter and I think that having guides for what a good life looks like matters. But the problem is, is that we can get stuck in almost too literal in that. Mm-hmm. Once we sort of start defining like, well, this is the value or this is what I want my life to look like. Now, all of a sudden, it's like a goal. It's this external thing. And it's a thing that we can sort of have taken away from us. And then we're back to feeling like garbage if we don't get it. And we're back to this very elusive concept of self-worth, of how do I feel good about my existence, good about the most fundamental part of me with or without there being these external um, swords of accomplishments. Oh, so that's what's so tricky because like if we think about it, our self-worth, the very beginning of our self-worth stems from our caregivers. Like that's who helps lay the foundation. And I think that's why when we get older and we struggle with self-worth, 
it feels really scary to do the work on our own or to even trust ourselves and believe that we are worthy because our whole life we've been building and expanding on this narrative that other people have written for us. So it feels wrong to almost one of the, in fact, one of the cards I pulled was the, the magician. So it feels wrong to kind of take on that role of the magician and believe that we do have the power to transform or shift or change that perspective because it doesn't align with the experiences that we've had up until now. It's always been, well, my self-worth is reliant upon, you know, my productivity, for example. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, like how much output I'm I'm giving like at work or at school or in my relationships or in my appearance. And that's directly tied to people's responses to that output. And that perpetuates the narrative that we often got growing up from our parents about what they deemed worthy and valuable. So it can be really difficult to believe that we don't have to look at what other people are are doing or, and saying about us in order to feel worthy because it kind of goes against our human nature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it's really only fair to bring up the caregiver issue. It is the fundamental job of a parent to completely fall in love with the child as the child is, you know, not the image of the child or sort of like what my hopes and dream of this, who who this child will be, but who the child is and to grow in the love for that child and being able to say like, okay, I see you right now. And I see that you can throw a pretty good tantrum. Okay. That's in there. And I can see that sometimes you can be selfish and I can see that sometimes you're really stubborn but I still love you madly and see all of the wonderful things about you. And it gets even better. Not just that I see the wonderful things about you, like, oh, I see when you're kind, because now it's transactional, right? Now it's Mm. like, well, you have this, but you also have this. So it balances out. It's not like that. It's I see who you are. And I see that there are, are positive traits and not so positive traits. And that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about you. And I am madly in love with you. And not every person has a parent who is capable of doing that. And in fact, I would argue that most of us don't have a parent who's fully capable of doing that. It's a pretty big ask. And so most of us are walking around with at least some wounds around not feeling like we have been fully embraced in love for who we are. And we go around in the world trying to make up for it. One way that I have personally found helpful and that I sort of have shared with some people and they have found helpful is a little bit of a of a two of cups moment of if we start to practice trying to do this for other people, trying to see the fundamental or the goodness in other people and trying to love other people. It gets a little easier for us to begin to see it in other people first and then to be able to believe that we have that for ourselves. But I mean, I just introduced a concept that like could take years of practice. So true. And it's also tricky too, because it depends on where a particular person is. Like I I love the two of cups exercise. I use it for myself. I also like suggest it for, for clients, but you have to be careful with that because if, if you were someone who maybe like your parent just wasn't able to show you unconditional love and support and instead, you know, wrote this 
this narrative that your your worth is dependent on your achievements or your behavior, that's, that's kind of one thing because then you learn like, okay, external factors like grades and performance and appearance are what deem me worthy. And if those aren't up to par, then I'm not worthy. But if you also had parents or caregivers who struggled with like boundaries, for example, then you start to realize that your self-worth is dependent on what you can do for other people. And you, Mm -hmm. you learn that you're supposed to prioritize the needs of others over your own, which you know, lowers your self-worth and usually what we see in codependence. So you have to be kind of careful and make sure, okay, yes, it's important to identify these characteristics in others and realize that that exists for others, but you can't take that too far to the point where you are now just existing for other people and existing to like be their cheerleader because it's so easy to go from one extreme to the next. And I see that so much when you're doing this work where it's like you start at like zero and then you go from zero to 10 and it's like, hold hold on. (laughs) Like you have to exist somewhere in the middle because then you might start to rely on that external validation that people are giving you like, oh, you make me feel so good or thank you so much for being my biggest cheerleader or like loving me so much and always asking me how I am or blah, blah, blah. But then you don't get that in return and you start to realize, okay, I just exist for other people. That doesn't feel good either. So you have to figure out what is this, what's this middle ground? And that is so difficult. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I think one way of doing that is just by not doing it verbally, you know, just like, looking at people, you know, like in Target and kind of being like, let me sort of see your inner light and I'm not going to interact with you, but I'm practicing looking for that. And, you know, I mean, it's really interesting because when you start doing that, you'll also sometimes get used to seeing people's shadows and Mm -hmm. being able to be like, oh, you've got that great light and you've got a shadow over it. And I'm not, I don't need to say a word to you, but I'm noticing how people are. And I think that that's like a way of avoiding becoming like the everlasting cheerleader. So, right. I feel like you're talking about basically a form of mindfulness where you are focusing on just being in the moment, like with your own thoughts and judgments about yourself and other people and becoming more aware of how you feel about those thoughts and experiences and not necessarily like judging them, but just not like maybe acknowledging that those judgments or thoughts or feelings exist and that it doesn't necessarily change that person's worthiness or yours. It just is. Oh, so good. I just cut the deck and I pulled Ace of Swords. And yet again, Mm. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I pulled this deck Um, it's such a cool image. It's a woman who's sort of, she's holding a sword and it's a little unclear where she's standing, but it appears that the bottom half of her body is underground. And this sword is also deeply sort of underground. And the top of her head has a tree growing out of it. And in the tree, Mm -hmm. there are some images. There's like a little bird, but then there's also like maybe a mother holding a child and there's a house and there's this woman in there. And I feel like it really is speaking to the place we're trying to get to, of to build self-worth, it really does require mindfulness. It really does require a new way of thinking and shifting your paradigm from being like, let me prove myself to let me figure out how to feel grounded and okay. And I am here and I am fine and I am loved all of the time that that sword in the ground 
and also understanding that my mind is its own wild beast and things are going to come and go and like different ideas are going to come and flit through the branches of my brain and that's okay. But my sword needs to be firmly planted in this sense of groundedness and being loved. That's hard. It's hard. I feel like the card that's coming up for me as you talk about that is the hermit. Like I feel like you maybe you start with the ace of swords and you get that kind of encouragement and that energy to start this journey. And then eventually you kind of find your way into the energy of the hermit. And you have to kind of like hold that land, be willing to hold that lantern up to your internal experience and notice how are you talking about yourself? How are you talking about others? And then being willing to take that painful journey of like, where did this come from? Why am I saying this? Where did I hear it first? Where have I heard other people say it? Maybe it wasn't even said to you or about you, but maybe you witnessed other people saying things or holding themselves to certain standards uh, growing up. Like maybe, maybe your parents were really loving and supporting and encouraging to you growing up, but maybe they held themselves to a really high standard. And so I see this frequently. Sometimes people will come into therapy and be like, I had a great childhood. My parents were so kind. Like yeah. they, they never like, I, you know, everyone has, has parent issues, but I don't like, I have great relationship with my parents, but like, why is my self-worth so low? And then I'll dive into, well, let's, mm. let's talk about what you saw. Oh, well, my mom, like, worked so, so hard and all she could do was work. And, you know, if she wasn't making enough money, then, you know, I heard her say this, this, and this. So sometimes it's not even about yourself, but it's being able to shine a light on areas that still affected you, but maybe were not directed at you. And that's where like, you can take so many different paths on this journey and try and figure out, okay, what happens if I go down this route? What happens if I go down that route? And then you have to puzzle piece everything together to get a bit of a bigger picture. And sometimes the puzzle pieces are missing and yeah, it can be, it can be exhausting. I think that's why going back to how we opened the, the episode, it's kind of, it's this lifelong journey. It's not, okay, like I figured it out. Everything's great now. So the way you're talking about it is, I don't think it's wrong and I think it's interesting, but it sounds like, I think that you and I might have different takes on this. Like, I think that the way you're talking about it is really about sort of messaging. People don't have good self-worth because of messaging that they got through childhood, through their parents, even like through culture or whatever. Whereas I might kind of lean in a different direction and say, I think that this is actually a very strange and mysterious thing that humans have built into us that is affected by messaging, certainly. And that messaging comes for the fact that all humans, I think, are inherently born, and I do find this mysterious, with a feeling of trying to figure out that they do have worth. I don't know why that is, but that has been my experience, is that people really struggle with this. And I've had that experience too. So many clients who are like, oh, my parents are great. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes I can dig and find something, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, your, your parents sound actually like, like you had a really lovely childhood and you're struggling with almost a philosophical struggle about 
why do I exist? So I I think it might be more than that. I don't know. What do you think about what I'm saying? No, I actually totally agree with you. And I think it just, it depends on the person. I think I totally agree that we are all born with this kind of inherent drive. (laughs) And it's interesting because when I was reflecting on this episode that I had that same thought of that seems to be kind of one of the guiding forces as a human, because if we were all born with high self-worth <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. the, I, I I don't even know what the world would look like <laughs> I feel yeah, like, not like this. no I feel like I mean this is gonna sound bad but god it would be really boring <laughs> like we none of us would have any questions we wouldn't be having this conversation right now that's really making us think you know it would be really robotic so It really, I mean, that's a really existential philosophical question, right? Like kind of what Mm -hmm. is the point? And I think, you know, gosh, we're really kind of like definitely heading in a different direction. That's based on kind of what your individual beliefs are. Like, yeah, what is the point of human existence? And why are we, why do we all need and crave self-worth? And why is it sometimes so low? And I think it goes back to the fact that we're, we're all also inherently really selfish beings, and we all want to mm-hmm. feel good and we have to battle with feeling good versus like not being like super egocentric. But, you know, that's also another uncomfortable conversation with people is like, well, when they struggle with like the the egocentrism of, of this topic, well, what do you mean? I'm just inherently worthy. I don't want to sit here and like brag about myself and, you know, celebrate myself and toot my own horn. Like... I've been taught that that's not good. So then we have to figure out, okay, well, yeah, you know, sometimes it's not. So what makes that healthy? What makes it not healthy? Like, again, what's that balance? So I think it's all just a part of being human. Like we have these really complex emotions and internal experiences. And we have this really complicated brain that, you know, every day we are learning so much about how we function in the body. And maybe this is just a part of that journey. Like we, maybe we just don't have the answers of, why, you know, we are seeking this in our, in our human life. And we know we're seeking it and that it feels good when we have it and it feels good when we don't. So really, we're all just trying to feel good. (laughs) You know, I mean, and to me, that's actually a starting point when I get to this place with the client. And it's sort of like, I I don't know, and this has gotten really heavy, and I can't answer the question. That's when I think we do begin to find some answers, because we realize that we can't answer this question. This is like very eight of cups, isn't it? That we're sort Mm -hmm. of like going on this different path that we do not know where we're going. But one thing that I will point out to clients is, yeah, I can't answer it. Nobody can answer it. People have been asking this for a very, very, very long time. But it gives me a a glimpse of hope that this doesn't make any biological sense as far as we've been able to figure out that we are sort of these biological machines that are here to, you know, have a, an experience of like eating and procreating and like, you know, breathing and surviving. And yet we all do seem to have this inherent part of us that asks these really hard questions that are completely unanswerable. To me, that points to the idea that that's interesting that doesn't make any sense. And there's something that's worth paying attention to or thinking about there. Now, I, I don't know what that is, but it makes me feel a little bit less alone. And it makes me sort of almost find the idea of like, there must be something there, even though nobody can define it. 
And I find that sometimes that makes people feel better just to know that we can't quite define it. The card that I pulled right before we started recording was strength. And I, again, Tarot of the Abyss, I adore. In this picture, it's a woman and she's face to face, like her face is right next to the lion and she's got her hand on the side of the face of the lion. It's almost like they're like posing for a beautiful picture. And I think it's really worth pointing out that this conversation and really looking into the abyss here does take an awful lot of strength. But this is what I think humans are made up of. So many majors this episode. So I, yeah. <laughs> I, I have cards I've even talked about, but I'm like, oh, okay, so you pulled strength. A card I pulled is the world. I feel like that ties in so nicely mm. to everything that you're saying. And you know, like my brain's just going a mile a minute, kind of listening to you say everything. And I and looking at the world now, I'm thinking maybe this is just another form of the evolution of the human experience. You know, we we had to learn how to just exist solely on making sure that we had food and water. And as we continue to evolve as a species, now it's like, okay, now we have to figure out how to feel worthy <laughs> because, you know, we have an abundance of, well, some of us have an abundance of food and water that's still obviously a struggle in many parts of the world, but now we're just kind of <laughs> continuing on this human journey of, okay, it's like, <laughs> it's like, a, this is going <laughs> to to sound so bad. Like we're legit in a simulation because it's like a video game. We're just leveling up. And now we've reached this level where it's like, oh, this is really complicated. This is this isn't as simple as just gathering some berries. But you know, it reminds me of the world card because the world is this this archetype and image of of wholeness and, and completion, but also integration. And kind of reminds me of the individuation process where we become integrated as a whole person. So it's like taking all of these, these bits and pieces of ourselves and our journey and kind of meshing it all together. Kind of like what I was saying earlier about the puzzle, but a big part of that is acknowledging and accepting things about ourselves that we can and cannot change. And the because the world can be seen as this, this completion of a process, I feel like it's exactly what we're striving for, this like strong sense of self-worth and self-esteem. But in order to get there and develop that, you know, we have to do the work and experience everything that's kind of around the person in this, in this card of, of the world. And that includes discomfort and obstacles and, and things that are unknowable um, in order to kind of cross that metaphorical finish line. And like being okay with just kind of like floating in this space because I mean, the world card, this person's kind of just like floating in this, this wreath and they're not on stable ground, which I think is really interesting, you know, but they've, you know, they've collected all these things along the way and they're not quite sure where they're going now, but I don't know. They've, they've completed that. They've leveled up. They've completed that level of the game. Now they're like, okay, what's next? <laughs> it's so interesting. It's the moment you said levels up, leveled up, I split the deck and was like, what am I going to pull? I pulled the devil. <sighs> and in this particular card, it's a picture of a person who's wrapped up very, very tightly and they have wings and they're clearly trying to like lift up, even though they're wrapped up very tightly. And it seems like on their feet, they're trying to pull their heart out of the ground or pull at least mm. a heart out of the ground. I mean, I think that that's, I really like the phrase leveling up because I think that it goes across all sorts of, it's just something that 
most people can just inherently understand. It's like we get it from video games, but there's also this like lifting feeling. And I think that there is a question of we don't know what the level up means or what it looks like or what we're even trying to accomplish. How do we get to be this woman inside the wreath, like floating in yeah. the air? We don't know, but it does seem to be connected to this idea of saving our own heart and being able to say, oh, you know, I heard this thing the other day, uh, it, like whatever, and I think I was listening to, and somebody said, it's very basic. It comes down to there is fear and there is love. And our job is to try to be more in love than in fear, except for in my own experience, I know that I live, I try so hard, but I live way more in fear than I do in love. And that's the thing that I'm trying to push through. I think that that's the level up. But that love means for all people, but also for myself. And you can't level up until you've learned to do both. Oh, and you know what this is bringing up for me now too, because I feel like we've been talking about this from an individual perspective and understandably so, because self-worth is inherently like belongs to you and you alone. But going back to kind of like (laughs) the video game, the leveling up, and I'm looking at this world card and... There are all of these kind of like entities in the four corners, you know, and even when you're playing a video game, for example, I never thought in a million years that I'd be talking about video games and using that as an analogy (laughs) and talking about self-worth, but here we are. Um, Even when you're playing like a solo video game and it is just you and you're not playing with anyone else, you most likely have people like they're called NPCs, non-player characters, or Mm -hmm. other entities in the game that help you in the process. Whether it's an NPC Mm. saying, here's a note, you know, or here's a challenge, or make sure you go in this direction, or there's little things that sparkle on the screen that indicate, hey, head this way. It makes you feel like you're not truly alone, and you're, but you're accepting that help, and you're accepting that the NPCs or the little, like, you know, flashy things on the screen believe that you can access whatever you need to access in order to like level up in the game. And I think that's a metaphor for our human experience. How often are we allowing people to love us? How often are we like accepting Mm. people's help? How often are we allowing someone to sit next to us when we feel really unworthy and gross and we're just having a shit day and just let them like just be in that space with us? It's really difficult because For example, like what I was saying a moment ago, like self-worth is this thing that, you know, we have to figure out on our own because it belongs to us. But that doesn't mean that people can't help us along the way. And, you know, earlier when you were saying, you know, you can look at other people and I love that and it is really helpful, but we also need to allow other people to do that to us and like say kind things, things to us. So something I do a lot is just challenge people to you know, if someone gives them a compliment or someone wants to give them a hug, that's something I personally struggle with is to just accept it <laughs> um, and say like, yes, I will let you hug me right now um, because it can be really difficult and uncomfortable. But the more that you do that, the more that you realize like people accept you in all forms and it allows you to move on to like the next phase in your life or like the next level. Otherwise you stay stuck in that eight of swords um, alone and isolated mm-hmm. because you haven't been able to look around and say, well, who's, who's helping guide me right now? Or who's, who's seeing me and willing to believe that I can step out of this, this trap in this really uncomfortable space. Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. 
You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at the tarot diagnosis and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com.